Hello, what's good? Kingdom polemics still branded as gospel on tap. Don't worry. It shall, it shall change soon enough. We're gonna do something a little different for you guys. Uh, we're going to add scripture reflections on just my regular readings, devotions with my kids, or just reading on my own. This is going to probably be the briefest episode, but significant and uh, dense and uh, worth your time nonetheless. So I'm just going to, you know, <clears throat> read the scriptures that I read uh, recently and just give some thoughts that I think are helpful. So the first thing I read uh, today was Haggai 2, uh, verses 1 to 9 says, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shethel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak. The high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I shall fill this house with glory says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So just, I was reading this and I was like, wow, um, these people are discouraged about the rebuilt temple. And God's like the final temple, the eschatological temple, which we know from Ephesians 2, John chapter 2 and 1 Peter 2 and other places is the church will be greater and superior uh, than the previous temple. And he says in verse 7 that I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So when you read that verse, you can be a dispensationalist who says when Jesus comes back in a literal thousand year Jewish revived theocracy with a little temple, uh, the nations will be responsive to God and they will uh, worship at this temple and they will also use their resources for the building of this temple. So these people. Uh, were building the temple with their resources and they had the help of Medo-Persia as well. And God is saying that, the, well, the dispensationist believes that there will be nations that use their resources uh, to build this physical temple in Israel. Uh, then you have someone like myself who believes that the the eschatological church, the eschatological temple is the church. And so what, what uh, Haggai is saying is that there is going to be a superior temple 
where all the nations will worship in this temple and they will use their treasures and their resources uh, unto the end of this temple. So in the future, as time goes on, the nations will worship at this new Zion and this new temple. And as they worship at this new temple and they're transformed by this new temple as nations, not simply as individuals and exceptions amongst nations, um, they will use that which they have to further um, the temple, not in some physical structure, uh, but in some um, <laughs> in the furtherance of of the people of God and their their covenant institution, which is not a structure, but it is a decentralized, globalized, wherever the means of grace are rightly administered. Uh, with their ministers and the covenant people and the means of grace. Uh, if you are a a certain kind of a millennial, uh, you will make this text say all sorts of strange things that make no sense. Um, you'll say, well, this is f fulfilled in Christ. So the nations coming to the temple is fulfilled in Christ and the treasures of the nations being leveraged for the furtherance of this temple is fulfilled in Christ. Um, you'll, you'll say something like that, which doesn't exactly answer anything. Um, what exactly is a nation in the New Testament that's different than the Old Testament? How is nations fulfilled in Christ? I would say that nations is fulfilled in Christ in the sense that now Christ as the final temple and the church as the eschatological Zion will now be experienced not simply amongst a nation in a place, but it will be experienced amongst many nations in many places. That's how it will be fulfilled in Christ. Um, also, you know, you may say something, well, this is, this is gonna, this means that not that nations will um, come to this new Zion and worship at this temple, but that a few people here or there, a remnant here or there, will come and and they'll give you know their tithe to the church um you know what one of the things that i've learned um in like the fa past few years is um you need to understand the eschatological christological reason right so how does what christ does in the future how does that inform this text but you can't spiritualize everything in some strange esoteric Kleinian way, okay, where everything is some kind of Christological picture. Well, guess what? In the New Testament, families are still families, even though Christ is the fullness. In the New Testament, uh, marriage is still marriage. In the New Testament, you know, um, image bearers are still image bearers. Food is still food. Sex is still sex. Nations are still nations. Kings are still kings. There is no Christological uh, meaning of that that makes those concepts. Um, meaningless. So this leads me to be expectant and hopeful um, that nations will worship at the new Zion um, and they will use that which is theirs in, a, in, in order to further this. So this is a hopeful, uh, my friend uh, in the Lord. Also, I read something as well this morning with my kids, which was 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13 it says be watchful stand firm in the faith 
act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now, when I was looking at this, I find this very interesting because firstly, um, standing firm in the faith and being strong in a masculine sense is not antithetical or competitive or exclusive to love. Uh, when I hear people describe love in the present, it is very much in emotional feministic terms. It's not about strength. It's not about tenacity. It's not about standing firmly, uh, you know, in this in this way. It's it's pretty much about being soft, capitulating, uh, accommodating, and emotional, and um, just running around, just constantly uh, wrapped up in your feelings and everyone's feelings. And being loving is not about being watchful of evil. Being loving is somehow pitted to be antithetical to standing firm and dogmatic in the narrow faith. Being firm, being being the church having a masculine strength-like posture as they stand firm um, is not seen as loving. And matter of fact, it is very much love. For you to be loving and to not stand firm like a man is to not be loving. It's to be unloving, according to Paul. Uh, also, when I was reading this, I thought it was interesting that that the church is described um, in its totality um, in masculine terms. Now, Paul doesn't say men be act like men. He, he's, he's talking to the church. He says, church, I want you to act like men and be strong, meaning that to speak about the church in terms particular to masculinity, in some sense, is appropriate, which means that the people are constantly bothered at when at, they're bothered and offended when people like myself draw attention to my masculinity as a trait for men or masculinity as a trait for pastors or here masculinity and strength, strength and power. And, and, and that which is unique to the wiring of men to be described as an attribute of the church, it, it is seen to be uh, petty. It is seen to be Doug Wilson-ish. Well, here's another thing that's similar to the, the, the text I read from Haggai. We need to learn to just let the Bible speak in its own terms and then apply them wisely and appropriately. And here's what it's saying, church. Um, for you as a church, men, women, and children, you are supposed to stand firm in a faith in a masculine way that is appropriate to the unique strength that God gives men. Meaning that there should be um, a, a boldness, a fierceness, a protectiveness, a unapologetic strength um, that accompanies your love and your standing in the truth. I believe that uh, the elements of femini femininity, that which are good, have in many ways hijacked the church, where the church operates like some nanny um, to the culture and the people of God. And Paul tells us to stand firm in the faith and act like a man, man up church. And that is done in love. And that is loving. That is conducive to love. And that is done in love. I also found it interesting um, how Paul ends this letter 
fascinating. He says in verse 21, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of our Lord of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Now, why why would Paul close this letter by saying that people that don't love the Lord should be accursed? I he <laughs> let him be accursed um, is is stated in a way that would imply um, that. You're desiring, you're wanting, you are requesting him to be accursed. This is important because the Corinthians were looking at those who don't love the Lord and they were imitating them. They said, hey, you pagans who hate God, why don't you try, you know, the matters of, of uh, legal matters or civil matters for us? The way you guys talk and the way you guys communicate, we want we want to sound like you and we want to contextualize the gospel in this fusion-like manner with your lingo. That's in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. You know, your view of like the afterlife and the resurrection, like we, we kind of like want to accommodate that as well. And so Paul very rightly says, listen, those who don't love Jesus are accursed. They should be accursed. They will be accursed in their unbelief. So you know what? You shouldn't imitate them. You shouldn't pander to them. You shouldn't cater to them. You shouldn't, synth- you shouldn't synthesize with them. And I wonder if in light of the, 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 the things that I see some men in the PCA and others, what they say about the culture and how, and how they talk to the church. I wonder how they feel about Paul looking at a church that is very much engulfed in the culture of Corinth and saying, let these people who don't love the Lord be cursed and damned of God. And let that be instructive to you, church, as to how you view them, how you speak to them, how you evangelize them, how you draw the lines between you and them. You want to act like, you want to accommodate, you want to cater to uh, those who the Lord will curse? No. So Paul says, As I close this letter, and I have told you many things about how the lines between the holy people of God and the the culture are distinct and drawn and separate, I want you to know that I want those people who you're trying to be like to be damned of God if they don't receive the Lord. And he says something fascinating in verse 24. He says, my love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. See, Paul is not interested in loving people in a way that is Pauline-specific, that is Corinthian-familiar, uh, that is Greco-Roman uh, hijacked. So I, I love you in Christ, which means I love you in a way that exalts him and in a way that is consistent with who he is and what he says about what everything is. So I don't love you in some subjective way. I don't love you in some Corinthian way. I don't love you in some Jewish way. I don't love you in some Greco-Roman way. I love you in Christ, which means I tell you the truth. And the truth is, those those that you want to imitate are those who are cursed and damned of God. So stop it. Grace be with you. The favor that comes from Christ be with you. 
not the favor that comes from cursed people. And let this be, let this be a warning to the quote-unquote missional uh, progressive folks that, that have this pagan, accommodating, not offensive view of the Lord's kingdom and the Lord's lines that he draws. That's it. That's all I got to say about 1 Corinthians 16 and also Haggai chapter 2. Be standing firm in the faith. Act like a man. And don't follow people that are leading churches to be effeminate and soft to the cultural uh, the cultural landslide around. Grace and peace, kingdom polemics, scripture reflections. Hey.